Blog Talk Radio. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to see. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it, it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the globe. Tonight, the IRP-5 and the software that could have shaped the nation and keeping the homeland safe. We continue unveiling the software of the IRP-5. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with uh, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. And again, the IRP5, as we continue down this path of telling the story of injustice that took place here. And we're very happy to be here tonight uh, to deal with this issue, Dennis, as we again continue 
last week was really something very interesting on this software, the capabilities, and then the accolades that was given in regards to this software but by communities, cities, states that said this is something that can make a difference. And we're talking about talks. They, they were even in negotiation and talks uh, with uh, New York City as well as uh, Philadelphia. A lot of things going on and really a viable product that I'm telling you is something as, as the folks who actually seen the demos of this software said they had never seen anything like this before. We're going to dig into that. Dennis, your thoughts on that and what is the importance of getting this message out? Again, uh, it's very important. When you think about it, uh, these guys came up with software and they it was proven. Uh, that it was viable and that it would be useful uh, to the uh, law enforcement agencies. And, and to me, I, I, no matter how you look at this story, every time I hear it or anything pertaining to it, uh, it, it looks like the, it, it was really something really big uh, for them to come in and, and accuse them of uh, a crime that was never committed. But uh, hopefully tonight uh, you'll hear more. That software, I believe it with no doubt, is, a, is still good and, and can still help this country and our uh, We'll hear about that tonight. Okay, and we're going to get into that, folks. Uh, feel free uh, to tell your family, friends, everybody you know to uh, tune into this program. You can feel free to dial in at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And we're going to get to that, uh, that information on, the, on this show tonight. We're going to get into that on the other side of the break. Right now, some current news going on that is, I'll tell you what, the cycle continues of police brutality, excessive force, and in this case with Brianna Taylor, the loss of life. Uh, at 26 years of age, officers went into her home, uh, and six shots went into her. A total of 16 shots were fired. Uh, one, of course, being lethal, penetrated the heart, and took the life of this young African-American lady. And I say that because all the talk is, well, we're continually saying that black lives do not matter. How many people are going to have to die? How many people are going to have to die? We got the death of George Floyd that shook this country and shook the world uh, in regards to the outrage of what happened to George Floyd. You got this young lady who was killed, uh, needlessly killed, and the officers today, we find out uh, that only one officer was charged, and it had nothing to do with the death of Breonna Taylor because they said he, he fired towards another uh, neighbor's apartment. Uh, had nothing to do with Breonna Taylor, which means these guys walked off scot-free without any penalty as the life of this young lady was taken. Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's just sad to see this in this country this day and age where it's like what happened as I was reading the story, her boyfriend got up to basically defend his home. You know, he heard rustling outside the door and then all he knows is three people broke into his house. So of course he's going to do what any, any right minded man would do. He's going to defend his home. And the thing is like there, they just, it even says in the article here on the, on ABC news, they fired blindly. Basically, they disregarded any and all training they had ever received at the academy, number one. But number two, they go in and they, they're, they're going in on a suspected warrant. 
You know, they, they can't confirm that the person that they were after was even in there, which he wasn't. She's in there. You know, the person they're looking for is her ex-boyfriend. She's in there with her new boyfriend, sound asleep, just trying to enjoy some peace and quiet. And they go in there and they murder this young lady. I mean, 26 years old to have your life ended and needlessly. And then for these officers to show no district or no regard, not only for, you know, this human life, but the lives of the people that are in the apartments around them. I mean, they, again, the article says they shot into an apartment where there was a five-year-old child. What about endangerment? There was a pregnant woman. What about endangering her and her unborn child? I mean, you're talking about all these lives that they put at risk and the life that they took needlessly, needlessly because they followed, they failed to follow their proper procedures. They failed to do their job, and they just went in blind, and now we have yet another African-American citizen that is now part of this body count. It's needless, and it's absolutely disgusting to see in the news. Well, it's it's absolutely insane, and the explanation uh, given by Attorney General Daniel Cameron is a complete joke. Uh, Cam comes out with a statement to say that the officers were justified. Well, number one, they stated that there was a no-knock warrant, which we found later uh, that there was no there was no such a warrant. And on top of that, the warrant itself, uh, I believe David alluded. Uh, stated earlier today was uh, was old. Your thoughts, David? Yeah, just another tragic situation and uh, irresponsibility of police officers. Uh, what's being reported is the the search warrant was two months old. Well, it couldn't have been that important. This gentleman couldn't have been that important. This uh, the guy who was the subject of the search warrant couldn't have been that important for them to wait two months. To go get to get them, and furthermore, did they verify through surveillance uh, was he even there? Now, sim- it could be simply you could have caught the guy if he was coming and going. Uh, uh, expert on, I think it was Fox News last night, made the statement that they should have been surveilling. They could have took the guy into custody and then went up to search his house possibly after that. But if they had actually done surveillance, they would have found out he hadn't been there since January. So he wasn't even present who they were looking for. No, and but he hadn't been at the house since, since January, January, which means they would have never showed up. Yeah, and so think that this took place in March. So mm-hmm. two months, the guy hadn't been there, and now you just show up as if he's there. You didn't verify. Did he move out? Nothing. And this was her house. This was her apartment in her name. Even if somebody was staying there, you get a warrant to go into somebody else's house and kill the owner of the house, the lady who's, who – the apartment belongs to you kill her dad yeah but the warrant wasn't even for her exactly. and you're going to her house exactly. to execute a warrant and the the david's point had surveillance been done and due diligence had been done looking for this other guy you would have known straight out he's not here he hasn't been here but this is a failure this is reckless behavior reckless assuming whatever they assume you cannot do that when you're talking about human life. You can't. You should have your facts lined up very clear, pointed. We know he's in here. We know he's there. There's no question about it. And still, I do not have to go in with the intent to take somebody's life. Well, so, somebody tell me, how, did, how are you trained? How are these officers being trained? If anybody go, comes in your front door at 2 o'clock in the morning, opens that door, you don't know if it's a burglar. You don't know if somebody's carrying a weapon. 
It is your right. It is your right to protect your place where you're at. So the fact that these officers went in, not even keeping any of that in mind, never thinking, well, wait a minute, if we go in here like this now, then these days a lot of people are armed because of the condition of this country right now. You don't know what's walking in your house and you blindly fire. What if there were children in that house? What if there were children? This is why it is so egregious. They want to say, well, we went in for this reason, but the potential of killing the innocent is absolutely unheard of. William? Well, you know, along those lines, there are certain states that have laws that basically, like, make my day and things like that that give, you know, those armed citizens that are at home, you know, a certain level of, of rights to protect themselves and protect their loved ones. In this situation right here, when you you read these articles, you listen to the statement that was made by uh, the Kentucky Attorney General, none of this stuff made any kind of sense, and they really just let these men walk. Reading this article even from ABC, it says Walker, who was her, her boyfriend, who returned fire, it says he's a licensed gun owner, he has no criminal record, he called 911 cheerfully, pleading for help. He, as, um, he was thinking this was a home invasion. He's, he actually said, somebody kicked in the door, shot my girlfriend. Now, he called 911. Um, and, and so when you talk about it, they said these officers fired 25 bullets. 25 bullets. The only officer that was charged was the, was the officer that gained the entry through another, another entryway and was firing blindly, and the bullets went into the other apartment. Now, so he, they, they, he was the one that they, they, they charged with the danger. But nothing, no one is charged for the death of Breonna Taylor. That is correct. Nobody got charged. And she and, was struck eight times. And here's what's something, here's what's interesting to me. Right before the verdict came down uh, in regards to whether, whether there was enough to charge these, these officers, they begin to say we have blocked off city streets. Uh, in preparation of any riots that may happen. Well, why are you, prior to us, the public, knowing what's going on, you already knew that there was nothing coming down against these officers. You already knew that. And what is irritating above else, when people are protesting, people were protesting in Kentucky. People are being assaulted. I believe there was loss of life there. Uh, and you want to ask the question why people are shouting defund the police? It's not about defunding officers on a level where we don't have protection in this society. They're missing the message. The message is if this is what police officers, not all, let me be clear, for those that have violated the law and taken life needlessly, this is why you have a cry of defund the police. This is the reason. Well, why would they say that? Their people are dying on the streets every single day in this country. Well, and the thing is, is and I, I've been saying this for a while, if it wasn't for our cell phones, think about how many cases that we've seen now we would never have seen. It would have been justified. George Floyd would have been justified if it wasn't for somebody there on their cell phone. Walter Scott in South Carolina, justified. It would have been justified if somebody did not have their cell phone. And they're, and they're literally having to police the police. Because 
if if you listen to what to the attorney general and what he said in Kentucky, you realize and just and to your point, you knew it was a setup because he said, at least in my opinion, this is what he said. He said the grand jury process is secret. Everybody was saying, why did this not go to trial? Why did this not go to trial so all the facts could come out? Everybody could present their cases and hear and then make a, a well-formed decision. That did not happen. The grand jury process took place. He was able to feed the information that he thought was beneficial to lead them to the result that he thought needed to be. And to your point, they already knew it. So when you saw the news yesterday, you saw the city had already been boarded up. There were parts of that city that they had barricades, so you couldn't drive to the stores. You had to walk to the stores because they knew what was going to happen. Well, and on top of that, uh, uh, apparently they went in this home at 1240 a.m. So the early morning hours, uh, they went in there, and anybody who was in the and, and I don't know how the neighborhood was where Brianna Taylor lived, uh, but anybody coming through your front door is going to raise alarm that it's either me or them. That's what it's going to be. And the sad part about it, David, you found something very interesting. Why don't you share that? Yeah, um, they were looking for a gentleman by the name of Mark Jamarcus Glover. That was, I believe, that would have been her ex-boyfriend, uh, Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend. At the time, they were parked in front of Brianna Taylor's house. They were also executing a warrant at a different property on the same street. Uh and that's where they found Jamarcus Glover, the guy they were initially the guy they were for. looking for at Brianna Taylor's house. So they, they were executing a warrant. Uh, so, and then you got a question: Why are you at somebody's house executing a warrant at midnight? And why are you not communicating, officers, that someone is down the street with your suspect serving a warrant on the guy you were supposed to try to pick up? But ultimately. You didn't communicate that between the officers themselves, ultimately causing the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. How is it that you don't know you got your comrade down the street executing a warrant? How is that possible? And then you got this attorney general, uh, Daniel Cameron, running his mouth about what's justified. It's reckless behavior. It's reckless. And that entire police department and the attorney general uh, needs to be escorted out of his building, uh, really, for his conduct. That's misconduct. You have no business being the attorney general, uh, Mr. Daniel Cameron. You have no business in that position if you can come out and justify the slaughter of Breonna Taylor at the age of 26 years of age. Uncomprehendable. We're going to hear more about this. Other side of the break, folks, we're coming back. The IRP5, the software continues to be unveiled. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. And their hands 
we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crime. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence on average 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Yes. Okay, um, 
It looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. Uh, see you soon. Thank you. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Now it's time. Time to change the state of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are privileged tonight to continue our story uh, on the RP5 software uh, that was that these men who were wrongfully convicted uh, were actually, I mean, aiming high uh, to attain some goals and in conversations uh, regarding this software that from every indication and statements that were actually made, uh, they had never seen anything like this. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, it, would, it would stand to reason uh, that those that uh, wanted to uh, really try to mimic uh, the RP5 or software previously done uh, uh, that simply failed, this particular software was on the, I'm telling you, it was in position uh, to be successful everywhere that it that it went. And David, we were talking a little bit about Colin Reese. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about him. Uh, and uh, I believe is it uh, Pete Mang. Uh, David, give us some some forethought on that, and then we're going to go. He made a comment on this on this software. I'm going to read, but give a, give a, a brief introduction of who these people are. Well, let's get a little background. Uh, the government alleged that we were. Uh, bilking staffing companies and really nobody we were just out there bilking staffing companies no intention to pay 
and they considered the fact that we had debt with staffing companies as, as criminal. Now, the government put forward that we had no opportunities to really make any money. Where our first, and, he, and the government alleged that this activity went on from 2002 to 2005, uh, sometime in 2002 to, to, 2000, to the beginning of 2005. Now, we're going to be discussing a little bit of the timeline, but we were engaged in staffing, having uh, staffing companies do work for us through their employees in uh, June, uh, probably of 2000, in June of 2002, which the government says we were engaged in stuff, so we didn't have any uh, opportunity to really make any money, and that we were just out there keeping people employed. I don't know what they were really alleging, because it really doesn't make sense. But CBI had committed to purchasing the software. Original price we gave them were $500,000. This is the state, Colorado State Bureau of Investigation, and they had agreed to purchase the software. Uh, so we didn't go into any business activity without the potential to be able to pay our bills. We didn't just go out here ham scam and say we're just going to go out, get labor from staffing companies and not pay them. And mm-hmm. in this email where Pete Mang is communicating to internally that he forwarded to Clint Stewart, he's communicating internally to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation senior top guy, Robert Sexton. Pete Mang is the number two guy behind Robert Sexton, and they're discussing uh, the our Silk software. And if you, Lamont, would like to read some of the email. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this is, again, uh, the accolades given to this software. Uh, and, David, I think you'll look to the fact that this is basically the director. kind of He's not the director of the FBI, but of the CBI. He was high up the chain. for the He's the top guy uh, for the Colorado Bureau of Investigations. He, he writes this. He said, my evaluation of the product is as follows. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation, in order to contend with the growing complexities of major crimes as well as the daily duties, of tracking standard cases needs to utilize technology to its benefit. After reviewing this product, I strongly feel this product would be a tangible solution to a long-term agency-wide case management response. The software product has an arsenal of extremely useful benefits to our agency as a whole. It would be my recommendation and request to afford leading team the opportunity to demonstrate the software package to key personnel at the CBI. That's big. I, I don't. What other validation do you need? What other validation do you need? He is saying here, this is something that meets the standard of the latest technology. I'm understanding that they probably have an ancient system that they're working. And we talked about this a little bit last week, that the unique uh, ability of this product, it can adapt to any existing system that you actually had. Is that correct? That is correct. And I want to read a little uh, higher up in that email communication. Uh, Assistant Director Mang said, I've been involved in conversations with with Bob Sexton. Bob Sexton, again, is the head of the Colorado Bureau of Investigation at the time uh, to define the direction of action to fund the purchase of such a product. So they're looking to purchase a product. There's other email later that they agreed to purchase the product on under the beta. I gave we gave them one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars off the sale of the software 
if they would uh, agree to be the first customer. And obviously, we'll beta test it and get everything, uh, any sort of bugs or stuff worked out uh, that, that may have arisen at that particular time. Because you're always going to have some bugs pop up in software once it's implemented. And, and from a technology perspective, we provide support to uh, handle all those things at no cost to the customer. Uh, so just keep in mind, uh, and uh, the original request was to research a viable tool to assist major investigations with case management of the multi-jurisdictional investigation of Korean organized prostitution. That's that's what they had contacted us. They were struggling to really be able to put, uh, to collect and be able to analyze, effectively analyze all the data with this Korean prostitution ring investigation that they were engaging in. And our software would have been a great benefit that they found. And we were there. Something happened. Uh, we're, we're anticipating money coming in the CBI yeah. to pay our bills. Right. Something happened and the funding went away or they didn't purchase the software as agreed. So we were left holding the debt, which is not uncommon. And then we'll get into the timeline just uh, six, six, six to eight months later, DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, came called. Well, here's what's ironic to me, that by the director's statement himself, he says with the complexities, speaking to your point, they, they, they're trying to really uh, stop this criminal enterprise of prostitution that they were trying to track. This software spoke to that. He says with the complexity he faced, this software could benefit, and he said, uh, really wide range within the agency to do what needed to be done. The prostitution issue they were dealing with, they were trying to crack down on prostitution issues. Uh, but just imagine that this is the director of the CBI saying, we need this. This is November of 2002. I'm trying to figure out how then does the, the uh, U.S. Attorney, the U.S. Attorneys, John Walsh, Matthew Kirst, AUSA, how do you come up with something to look like that these guys are committing a crime when you have validation? You've been validated here. The, the product is saying, man, after reviewing this product, this is something that will help law enforcement here. And I, let me guess. This was not presented to the jury either. Is that correct? No. Colin Reese was one of the witnesses that didn't show up to testify when he was supposed to show up to testify. Yeah, because he was subpoenaed. That was the witness that was subpoenaed, would not show up, and was brought to the attention of Judge Arguello that she said that it was, uh, that the responsibility was on you guys to ensure your uh, witnesses got there when she's the judge and a subpoena has been sent and a and a subpoenaed witness will not show up it is the duty of the judge to send the u.s marshal to say either you come to court or you will be placed under arrest that is contempt of court how judge arguel felt like it was not her responsibility to take that position to ensure colin reese showed up to uh to court to testify is beyond me how she even came to make that statement that it was not her responsibility. But here's what is so troubling to me. The jury should have been able to read this email. The jury reads this email. This is, again, another piece of this craziness happening in Judge Arguello's court. This is the, see, the director of the Colorado Bureau of Investigations saying, I have reviewed this product. 
This product is beneficial wide in a wide range in this agency. You have a juror to say, wait a minute, these guys were not committing a crime? The director of the CBI is not going to come and endorse the product unless he's absolutely sure. This email should have been given when, when the jury came back and said, is there any other information we can look at? This letter should, should have been in that information. Well, the problem is, given all of the issues and her chastising us about witnesses after the government's case uh, got ended a week and a half early, we didn't even have an opportunity to pull our case together to call all the witnesses we wanted because of because of her uh, her abusive actions uh, in the courtroom. And we it the things that happened in that courtroom made it impossible for us to put on a complete defense. Listen, let's say there's not a witness that's going to get on the stand, but we have an affidavit. We have a statement. That the jury should have been, con- been been able to read Abarelli's letter, should have been able to read this letter, and any other letters showing an email showing that this product is in a fast-moving way and it's getting ready to probably erupt. The, there's no way a jury comes back with a conviction. It doesn't happen. But the question is, no jury trial should have ever taken place. Absolutely right. This evidence was provided. John Walsh, the U.S. attorney, as a part of a proffer. Mm-hmm. He did nothing. He knows we had a viable product, interest in purchasing the product, uh, an actual engagement with the Colorado Bureau of Investigation that fell through, made it impossible for us to pay our debt. And so, so the government couldn't plausibly make any argument that we never intended to pay anybody when you read these types Thank of you. emails, when you hear the type of praise that, that, that was put on the server. This was a purchase. We talked about Philadelphia last year. There were two impending contracts with the, invest, with, with the Inspector General's Office and, and the Philadelphia Police Department. This is not in dispute. She would not allow us to present that evidence at trial claiming that well, that happened after the alleged time the government said. No, but it shows you the viability and that we continue to engage. It, Philadelphia was linked to everything else we did in business. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation is, is proof of that. And further proof to corroborate what's going on at the Colorado Bureau of Investigation was the Philadelphia Police Department and the judge would not let it in. Well, what you're saying is a pattern of... This software being legitimate. How do you can't you can't this is a pattern. You got Philadelphia, you got New York City, you got the CBI director saying we need this product. Put that in front of a juror. If it goes to the jury, they're like, wait a minute. There's no these guys are conducting business. That's what's happening. And this is so frustrating. Because very clear evidence. That's why the jury said, man, is, do we have any more evidence that we can present? I want to reiterate something. No jury, the government should not have brought this case under any circumstances. Agreed. My point with that is that again, there was no crime here. This evidence in the state uh, 
prosecution of cases, they have what they call a preliminary hearing. That preliminary hearing says, the judge says, do we have sufficient stuff to go to trial? At that point, the judge will say, you know what? We don't have enough to go here. It's similar, I believe, in the federal system. I don't know whether they call it a preliminary hearing or not. But again, to David's point, should have never went there. But let's just say, just for the sake of saying, they missed that. Okay? Well, once you come in with this, she continued her abuse. So she can't even stand on the fact, you know what, this was a, we overlooked this, we did this, we did that. Doesn't make any sense to me. But what it proves is this whole thing was a witch hunt. It was a complete, well-engineered witch hunt to take uh, our company down. And a lot of people, they are concerned about, and rightfully so, about the killing of African-American men in this country. But they also should be concerned about the destruction of promising African-American businesses and then also taking those those executives and these prominent uh, African-American entrepreneurs and throwing them in prison yep. uh, for competition, to eliminate competition. No, no, absolutely. Folks, on the other side of the break, we, the, the, the story continues. An abuse of a system that is clear that took place here. Federal Judge Christina Aguayo, John Walsh, Matthew Kirsch, uh, this is unbelievable. We're going to bring it back on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders, 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. 
America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they face. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Columbine. Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names, 
It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because they don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, as we have been kind of digging into the acts, really, of uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, but communications with the CBI, uh, as well as the Department of Homeland Security, uh, and we're going to get into this uh, with the RP5 guys, uh, into the DHS. And Dave, you made a good point. Um, 
in regards that about the business that there was business that the jury never got to hear any of this uh, as far as you said the intent issue. Go ahead and, and speak to that. Well, one of the things that we were looking at is you see that we had the letter from Colin Reese. We also had uh, the letter from um, from DHS saying that they could st- they could do business with us in 2007. Mr. Bill Witherspoon told us that the FBI was not preventing them from doing business with us. But you know that the FBI was still telling them that we were under investigation. So you would you would still be standoffish. Now, Bill Witherspoon told us about this in October of 2007. The grand jury that did not indict was in February and March of 2007. Now, they brought up another grand jury in uh, May of 2009. Now, we met with DHS at the International uh, Association of Chiefs of Police meeting in Denver in mid mid July 2009 I believe it was and Stephen Cooper from DHS said once this whole thing gets over with we still want to do business with you now that is after the indictment came through right. now again this shows intent that we were still pushing for business but the jury never saw that intent and this is an intent crime so if a crime was committed they would see that there was no intent to commit a crime but there was no, not, wasn't even any crime committed, and the jury should have seen that, but they could not see that because the, the judge would not allow us to present all these documents and all this information. And then once some of these uh, witnesses got on the stand, they didn't want to elaborate too much because they were still associated with the government. Okay, so that goes speaks to the intent issue. Again, the abuse of Arguello, all of this information simply not being allowed. Kendrick, go ahead. And speaking of Bill Witherspoon, um, he was he was on our witness list, and this becomes the problem is because, our, as we heard earlier, now the government is your case early, and the court is blaming us for our witnesses not being there and prepared. So as we're uh, scrambling, trying to find out what witnesses are, well, she's telling us where these witnesses are coming and the dates and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now you heard Dave earlier how Bill Witherspoon had told her told uh, IRP Solutions that, you know, there's no issue with us doing business with them, with uh, the Department of Security. And like right here, I even have a, a, uh, a price estimate that was requested by DHS and with, with Bill Witherspoon's email address on here. This is his actual government email address, and this is just a quote for $93 million, just shy of $94 million for two site licenses. This is just one of, of, uh, of uh, estimates we sent out. But when Bill Witherspoon gets on the stand, he has a whole different, like David said, they wouldn't elaborate. This is a guy saying here in the letter, hey, we're still able to do business with you. We, we send a quote to him off of his request because this is the man that said, you know what, we want to put you guys in our budget for our 2004 budget. But then after we can't get re- in contact with him, the court knows where he's at. His testimony is totally uh, contrary to all the documentation. Mm-hmm. Now, the, now, the jury should have saw this, too. Right. They should have saw these quotes. They should have saw these letters and emails that they're telling us, and they should have been able to make them elaborate on, hey, what did you tell IRP Solutions? Right. Why are you now on the stand all of a sudden saying, you know, because Bill Wilson made the point that, you know, we had sent this quote in. He tried to belittle this quote by saying, you know what, this contract was billions of dollars. Well, that supports. Exactly. That's what we're doing. We're we're helping. We're they had a billion dollars allocated 
to get a case investment case of uh, system like, and we get a quote for them with basically pennies on the dollar to what they had to spend. But once the government gets involved, they kind of change their tune on the stand. Well, there should have been an opportunity that if a witness changes their testimony from a letter or which is considered an affidavit, you are the jury should be allowed to show that the credibility of this witness is out the door because this is what he said, and it's in black and white. Go ahead, Demetrius. And another thing, as Dave was uh, Dave Zappola was speaking earlier, when we brought this up to Judge Arguello to say if this is an intent-based uh, a crime, we need to show that we that we intended to pay all our bills. We have documentation stating that, and she specifically said, I don't want any evidence brought up uh, after 2005. With all these documentation, even before and prior, after 2005, she would not let in because she knew if I let these documents in, the jury would over to, would would throw this case out. To your point earlier, Mont, that she knew she had to uh, be crooked and under uh, underhanded and put us in prison for that. Well, the evidence is overwhelming. This is what I said earlier about the pattern of information. It shows that you don't have to go to law school to figure this out. These guys were conducting business. Yeah, and Lamont, why would why would a company go to such great lengths to put quotes on letterhead to send emails because we just want to build some staffing company. Why why are we in contact with Bill Witherspoons and and Steve Coopers of Department of Home Security and all these uh, uh, people at New York Police Department, uh, Philadelphia Police Department, and we're just here. Oh, we're just we're just here to occur debt because we just want to rip off staffing. That none of that makes sense, and that's why none of this was the label was able to get into the jury's hands to see. No, this is just. Standard business. Well, Christina Aguero saw to it that that would never happen. And when you begin to go through the timeline here and all the evidence, it makes you nauseated. That how do you just skip over all of this information and evidence that proves the innocence of you guys and simply bring get a conviction? Because the jury was blindsided is what happened. Clint, go ahead. Yeah, uh, back to David's point, uh, it was a it was a big witch hunt. And uh, if you look at meetings that were held with DHS, where you have, you know, 12 individuals representing various agencies at the meeting where we demonstrate software right. uh, that has been uh, prepped and taking their requirements for additional uh, functionality uh, that we offer to add to the software, because we know we need some customization based on their agency. We have people there from the U.S. Marshals. Immigration and Customs, Secret Service, the FBI, uh, TSA, um, all these individuals that have a vested interest in this consolidated enforcement environment that they were had a billion dollars allocated at the time. This was obviously a situation. And we have emails here where uh, the program manager is responding to that demonstration and talking about how good it was and the operations plans as another phase of demonstration that they would actually like to see. These were the activities that they wanted to see incorporated into the platform and before we deliver to get to that formal quotation on a government contract. Well, this is what is so alarming about it, uh, guys, is that this is overwhelming evidence. Just from what we've discussed tonight, it's overwhelming evidence. 
that intent was not in place here. How are you getting, as, as Kendrick just alluded to, uh, a quote for 90, $94 million? This is, these people are not giving quotes on some fake product. These are the higher-ups of our government. They're giving quotes for, for that amount of money. This, this is over. This is unheard of. And that's why uh, Judge Christina Aguayo has set precedence of corruption. There's no, way, there's no other way to say it. Go ahead, Dave Zapolo. I have uh, two points to make. One, you talk about the intent and the information. Well, during the first grand jury, I actually testified during that grand jury in 2007. That grand jury did not indict. Now, during that uh, testimony, one of the grand jurors asked me, why did we continue to incur debt? And I said, when you have somebody that keeps telling you that this is the best software we've ever seen, we have to have it, you know that there is a contract around the corner. So you would incur debt to continue to get that contract. And when I said that, the, all the grand jurors just nodded their head and they, they understood. Now, in 2009, when they had the grand jury, only an FBI agent testified and told them whatever story he wanted to tell. Now, the second point I wanted to make is we were talking about how testimony changed. Well, one of the things that we found out going through discovery was that there were two interviews through most of the government's witnesses, one by Agent John Smith of the FBI and one by Agent Moen. And those interviews with those witnesses changed when Agent Moen uh, interviewed them. When we tried to bring that up and show that there were differences between the interview reports, the judge would not allow the interview reports into evidence saying that that was hearsay. Are you talking about the statements we, we just went over? They considered this information hearsay? No, the information of the government interviewing, the FBI interviewing their witnesses prior to uh, the uh, indictment. We went through the uh, witness reports and found that there were discrepancies between the two interviews. I mean, totally different responses. Mm -hmm. And when we tried to bring that up during trial and show that there were differences between the different interviews, we could not present that because they said it was hearsay that they that those interviews were hearsay. And if the person couldn't remember the first interview, it didn't matter. Well, obviously, they wouldn't remember the first interview because it contradicted what they were trying to bring as charges against us. And put in the place that the second interview is done by Agent Moen, he would not come to trial. He's running and ducking dodges so that we could have asked him. So it wasn't hearsay to say, hey, do you remember doing this interview? But he's conveniently off on a hunting trip, and he can't be found. So that leaves us with, I mean, all legal – efforts to just validate that there's there's discrepancies here were just shot down by this judge. I mean, am, I, am I correct in this that the, uh, the the U.S. Attorney's Office, Matthew Kirsch, knew the location of this witness? That is correct. Correct. Because from what I understand, they knew exactly where he was. So they knew exactly where the defense these are defense witnesses. Correct. Which builds your case. Correct. The prosecution, the government rather, knew the location of a defendant's witness. And, and the thing is, this is now his case. Why wouldn't you want to come testify on the case that they handed to you and say, well, this is the evidence why I, I said this in front of the grand jury. This is the evidence I got to say that, you know, this is why the witnesses answered the way they did. You don't want to answer on your own case 
Well, the bizarre part is is that it would have proved their that the the government's case would have proven to be fallible. That well, there was no case here. And it was obvious when uh, when he would not come to testify that there is something that the prosecutor does not want you to say. When when the when IRP said, Hey, our witness cannot be found and the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch, stands up, I, I heard from him uh, yeah, I was able to reach him. He's uh, he's out of town. How does the judge not say, uh, let's go into chambers and talk about the fact that this is witness tampering? Let's talk about the fact that you have been in touch with the uh, defendant's witness when you have no reason to be. You have no right to be, but suddenly you two are in communication and he is conveniently out of town cannot be served his subpoena because a FBI agent is basically um, keeping the, the process server at bay so that he does not get served. Also, that he does not have to come up and say, yeah, the interview that I did that proves that this software is viable, so he does not have to say that on the stand. Judge Christine Arguello, there is something wrong with her as a judge that she did not do her job. She interfered with due process. As a judge. Well, the fact of the matter is uh, the jury should have been allowed to see this information because the defense can now treat the witness as a hostile witness because they have changed their testimony. And the jury would have the ability to say, look, this is why this is why we can impeach him and treat him as hostile because he's changing or lying on the stand. So rather than go through that, you just don't show up in court. The judge doesn't enforce the subpoena, and the prosecution on the record admits he knows the location of a defense witness. William. Yeah, and as the guy that was actually serving Robert Mullen, I was the guy that was serving him. And so the thing about this, to their story, that was so terrible, I went to the door and I knocked. I was dressed nice, very professional. No one answered the door. I went down the street. I waited, and I'd say I, I waited maybe about five minutes. All of a sudden, here comes a I never forget this a burgundy Buick Saber turns the corner in the neighborhood real fast, pulls opposite side of the street from me. Gentleman draw, comes out, puts his gun belt on, pulls his his lanyard out from his shirt, drops his badge on his chest, and he says, "I'm I'm special agent." And I, I don't remember his name, but I did get his card. Mm-hmm. He said, are you here to serve Agent Moen? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, he's not um, – he, we've had complaints here about people uh, knocking on the door late at night and so forth and so on. I said, well, that's not me. I'm here middle of the day. It was a Sunday. It was around 1030, something like that. I was in my suit. And he said, well, he's not to be served. I said, well, why is he not to be served? He said, well, if you have a smartphone, he said, you'll be receiving notification here soon that Agent Moen is not, not to be served. I said, well, I don't understand why he's not to be served. I said, I've got the documents right here that he's to be served. And so he said, well, uh, it's time for you to kind of move on, move on. And so he went back to his car and sat pulled, and got in and then pulled in behind my truck and waited for me to leave. And I, and I, I said, okay, I just waited. I waited. And then I called um, when I got back. I just so happened I called the police department. I said, "Is there some reason why I I can't serve an FBI agent?" They said, "No, sir. 
there's no reason why. I said, do you want us to to uh, go with you or so? And and at that point, it was late. We figured up. And he wasn't there. That's when we found out he was on a hunting trip in the wilderness someplace else. Well, what's, what's bizarre about it, William, is that how does five minutes from you leaving from the property up the road, five minutes, a, a unmarked car yep. pulls up and says you cannot. So basically, you're obstructing justice. Exactly. That's obstruction. Yes, yes. Because the, I believe a subpoena has the judge's signature on it, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, interfering with the process server is under the obstruction of justice statute. And that, and when I went on to follow this up, I actually did con- contact the U.S. Marshal's office about this, and they said the same thing. They said, no, he shouldn't have interfered with you. And so basically we got all that information recorded, but that's what happened when we attempted to serve him. That's unbelievable. Clint, go ahead. If you look at this whole situation back to Cliff's point, if – the lead investigator from the FBI cannot be present. He's on vacation? Fine. Let's uh, put the court in recess until he gets off vacation. Should be the judge's task. Should be the judge's order. Let's call the halt to this case until the FBI agent can come back off of vacation and attend this proceeding because he's the lead star uh, witness to the prosecution and the defense that he's the one that led the investigation. Why is that not done? Uh, absolutely, David. Another thing is uh, that, that occurred is that our federal government law enforcement witnesses were in communication with both the prosecutor and the judge. And they, uh, both the prosecutor and the judge, said that in open court. Yeah, well, they've contacted the court or they've contacted uh, the prosecutor and what are you doing talking to our witnesses? And given uh, the shenanigans that actually took place throughout the entire process, you find out this is what was going on. This was a cabal. Everybody was involved. And everybody was conspiring against us uh, to make sure that we could not win a case, a case that should have not been there in the first place. This behavior is so out of bounds and against protocol in a proceeding. This is what has me baffled. You do not, in any criminal proceeding, talk to the prosecution's witnesses, nor do you talk to the defense. The only opportunity you have to do that is in cross-examination. That's it. Otherwise, you get an unfair advantage to know the theory of the defense's case and what they intend to put on. That is so alarming to me. Go ahead, Dave. And when have you ever heard that a judge tells the defense, I need to know what every one of your witnesses is going to testify to and have the prosecution in the courtroom when you're telling her that? And we had asked, well, if we have to do this, then can the prosecution leave the courtroom? No, he doesn't have to leave. He absolutely has to leave. He absolutely has to leave because you, he's given your game play. He's got your playbook. Exactly. So he can scheme and do whatever he wants to do because he knows exactly what you're going to testify to. Then you got the folks in touch with the judge, which is highly irregular. That's, that, is un, that is never done. But the judge is in contact with these witnesses that will not show up to court. 
They have been subpoenaed. They won't show up. And the judge says, okay, well, I talked to them. They won't be able to make it. That is not the answer, Judge Arguello. The answer is, if you don't show up within the next uh, two hours, I will have the U.S. Marshals come and escort you in a pair of handcuffs to my bench. Demetrius, your thoughts on that? As you guys are talking, reliving all of this, we tried time and time again to get things reversed, as Dave said earlier, to get the judge is supposed to help with our witnesses come to court. And she, time and time again, she would not, she wasn't playing fair because, as David said, she was a part of this cabal. She was a part of us going and being put in prison. Do we know who was behind all of this? No, we don't. But it was clear and evident that she was working against all of us to put us in prison with our, 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 our information that was going to exonerate us, to show our, that we were innocent, none of that, even down to our witnesses. And, and then the witnesses would say that, do I have to answer that? Do I have to – why are they called – they should be calling uh, uh, our representation, which is David, at the time. Every time they called Kirsch, Matthew Kirsch, AUSA Kirsch, or called Judge Arguello. That was I mean, totally preposterous. The – Deck was stacked. Yes. When you walked in that courtroom, the deck was already stacked against you. The judge already made a a presumption of guilt and had not heard one witness. Nor did not one person testify before she ever heard the theory of the case of the defense. She shot, she cut that completely down. There is no excuse, there is no other remedy here other than to have Judge Christina Guayo impeached for the violation of law. These are constitutional violations, and due process is out the window. David. And now you, we're constantly hearing the term mob justice. Mm-hmm. As you listen to our story, there was a government mob. Everybody had gotten together, created this cabal, this was mob injustice that was perpetrated on us where everybody conspired together to make sure that we couldn't put on uh, a proper defense, that our constitutional rights were violated in various areas, forcing people to testify in the witness stand, and then uh, the obstruction of justice that was rampant throughout this, throughout this entire process. I mean, I'm not sure how a judge or an FBI agent interferes with a subpoena. How do you come and say you cannot serve a federal subpoena to appear? To the lead investigator. And the thing about it is he already knew. They knew that he, I mean, there were several attempts to serve him. This man already knew what was going on. Because when I served him, I was there on Sunday. If I remember correctly, there was attempts made to, to serve him on the Friday before he left. And so he already knew that the attempt was, be, was uh, made, I believe, at his office, so at the FBI office. And, they, and I believe they blew him off or, or, blew, or blew the process server off. Then I got it. And, they, and at that time, he'd already gone out of town. With, and, and, and that's when they informed us that he was on a hunting trip in the wilderness and was probably unreachable by phone 
But he already knew there were several look, attempts that were already made. Look, what's very telling here, five minutes after you appear at his home, no one answers the door. You leave for five minutes and you have a, a unmarked FBI car stopping you and saying you cannot. How do you know? Why, how, did, how did the agent know that you were there to serve? Well, that, that's another thing. I was doubt the, so the physical location of the house and where I was when I left. I pulled up. I, I pulled up, knocked at the door. Nobody answered. I got in my truck. I left. I went down the street. I was still in visible distance of the of the uh, house, but I was basically parked in front of a park. I was not in front of anybody's home or anything. So I'm basically parked in an area not bothering anybody. The, and but I was on the opposite end of the cul-de-sac. Right. So when he came, when you saw the Lesaber come. Instead of him turning right to go to the agent's house, he turned left and came down to me. So they knew exactly where I was and what I was there. So, and how did they know? How did they know? Kendrick, go ahead. Well, the the thing that just boggles my mind is why you even have to subpoena an FBI agent to come and represent the government on his case. Now, like when you were sitting in trial, they they stick an agent there and basically – that agent's supposed to sit as the representative for the government. Most of the time, it was John Smith. The other time, they, if John Smith couldn't be there that day, they would just stick this agent there. They won't know who he is or or has any knowledge of the case, but he's there to say he represents the government. This Robert Moen, you he could sit in front of a grand jury and lie to that grand jury and get an indictment. But you don't believe enough in your case to come to trial and say, you know what, I'm going to stand by the statements I made in, to this grand jury. Now, you stood before a jury, but then why, am I, why would I even have to subpoena you? You should be saying, you know what, I believe in this government's case, and let me sit here and testify and speak to the things that I, that I said. But I'm taking these men's lives in my hand. I'm willing to put them in prison, take six to eight years of their life away. I don't care to come to, come to trial and at least say, you know, give you the courtesy of letting uh, us face our accuser and say why why are these statements were made like this way? Why did you question the witnesses in this way? Why did you even bring this to trial? I mean, that's just a travesty of justice in my opinion. Look, this is a backdoor deal done behind a curtain and a closed door. This is what this is. The reason you can't explain it, it is so outlandish. It is so outrageous. It, it, it leaves you somewhat speechless. How is it, and if this, I'm telling you, this is grounds to impeach and criminally charge all parties involved here, from to, down to the, the, the uh, FBI agent that stopped the server, he should be brought up on criminal charges. You, can, you cannot intimidate a court who's serving you court documents signed by a judge of course, unless it's Christina Guell, because she's not going to do nothing about it. This corruption, the reason it is so crazy and insane is because the corruption goes to its highest level. That's why. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah, just real quickly, uh, Agent Moen, Special Agent Moen, it shows the weakness of the government's case and the fact that for every witness that John Smith interviewed, they brought in Agent Moen to re-interview that witness. So there's two versions of the same interview, okay, to be very clear. And that's why Agent Moen was so critical, right? 
So to have him not be present at the trial worked to uh, uh, Kirsch's advantage because Kirsch is the one that told him that to redo those interviews, right? And then he sat him in front of the grand jury, and then and only then did they get the indictment. But to have him be absent at trial was a tactical move so that we couldn't cross-examine him because we saw distinctly two different opposing, contradicting versions of the same testimony, one by John Smith uh, documented, one by Agent Moore documented. Well, the thing is, even with that, Clint, uh, that should have been allowed, the jury should have been allowed to see the contradiction because, again, it casts doubt. Wait a minute. So they're going to say that's far above beyond a reasonable doubt. Man, wait a minute. We got two separate statements here. It's going to question the, the validity of the prosecution's case automatically. Dave, go ahead. Well, one of the things that you look at in the contradictory is in John Smith's interviews, very rarely, if ever, did you hear a witness say that we told them we had contracts. They said we didn't pay the bill. When Moen interviewed them, all of a sudden, oh, no, they told us they had contracts, and that's why we gave them credit. Well, that's not what you said before. How does it change? Well, the proof of the contracts was the fact that it was pending business getting ready to happen. Right. That's the point. You got statements that we read on this show tonight already by the CBI, Philadelphia, New York City, and my understanding even traveled abroad to present this product, you cannot come to a conclusion of a crime. If there was ever a judge that has abused the robe in which she wears and the bench on which she sits on, it is federal judge Christine Arguello. That's dangerous. And when you can do that from a bench and affect five young men's lives, and keep them locked in prison because of your misconduct, you should be held accountable for your actions. It is misconduct and abuse of power at its highest level. We're going to hear more from the IRP5, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clint Stewart. they got a lot to say. We're going to get right back to it on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? 
Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. There was a shooting When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. The focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen and more people have join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love, compassion, and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same. 
ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Bilson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit do to find out how. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have had the opportunity to talk to the IRP5 guys uh, in regards to the software that these men collectively put together to make a difference in this nation, to the security and the safety and security of the United States. And we're very honored to have David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clint Stewart, who've been shedding a lot of light on this process as we have talked in regards to uh, pending business uh, with this software and how this judge, Judge Christina Aguayo, Matthew Kirsch, and John Walsh, basically set out from the beginning to convict these men without one shred of evidence, without one person testifying, and then with the steps further, to ensure that no evidence that showed the validity of this software and the intent of these men was one in mind, and that was to create a software product that would keep the homeland safe. And as we continue to roll the pages back, it is the most troubling, one of the most troubling events I have ever witnessed in regards to the story of the IRP-5. And uh, today we're going to introduce another uh, element to this product. And Clint, we're going to get your thought on it uh, as well. Dave, go ahead and introduce that. Well, we had probably a total of a year and a half, two years, traveling back and forth between Colorado and Washington, D.C. to meet with the Department of Homeland Security Uh as Clint mentioned, or Dave mentioned earlier, we were making modifications on behalf of the Department of Homeland Security and keeping staff on from staffing companies to continue to do that work in anticipation of a contract. One of the initiatives, and this was a great initiative uh, brought forward uh, and put forth by the government at the time after 9-11, was to provide a single case management solution that all law enforcement agencies, federal agencies would use. It would make their information sharing and collaboration uh, much more effective. To that end, they uh, issued an RFI, Request for Information, for all these companies to submit what they have. Given that we had been uh, involved with DHS, when we looked at the actual RFI, it was based solely on the capabilities 
of our Silk software. Uh, and that's why we, we, we had so much traction with the Department of Homeland Security. Our software met their needs and, and their requirements. And we were just uh, had contractors on to uh, to do project related work so we can gain a contract with them. Now, the Federal Investigative Case Management System initiative uh, uh, called FICMIS was that was that uh, particular uh, initiative that the government had set forth, and they had an industry day where all the big companies as well as other companies submitted what they had. Uh, a week in, a week after that submission, we were called back to the by the Department of Homeland Security to do a joint presentation uh, for a joint DHS and DOJ working group. Their working group consisted of four senior level officials from the FBI's Information Technology Division that reported directly to the CIO. We had Immigration and Customs, Border Patrol. U.S. Marshals, Secret Service, they were all intended in, in attendance for that, for that presentation. We'll get back to some more of that. I think Clint has a comment. Clint, go ahead. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things for sure we don't want to miss is the orders of magnitude greater capability of the SILT platform that DHS recognized uh, compared to the other entrants on that industry day. And it was so starkly uh, so dramatic that they uh, asked us to submit a sole source justification where uh, they didn't find, they had worked on this for two years. And so to be very clear, they didn't find any other company that had the capabilities come even close to their uh, thickness requirements, consolidated enforcement environment, and so forth. So a single page sole source justification for IRP solutions was on the table, and that's a that's a very quick turnaround, a single signature, and that's why they, of course, why the call came back, right, to say, look, we see something here. Uh, Dave, your thoughts on that? Well, one of the things that we did as we designed the software was we made it easy to customize. So each agency has their own workflows that they do, and we made it so that we could go through. And as soon as we found out what an what an agency's workflow was, mm-hmm. we could easily make those changes for that agency. So that's why we would have customizations that would come through is an agency would say, this is how we want to do this. We say, okay, no problem. We can do this. Where a lot of the other companies that were trying to get business were very fixed on this is how you're going to do it. We were never like that. We were a situation where we wanted the customer to be able to do what they needed to do. That's, that's absolutely awesome because, and no wonder the traction, no wonder the callbacks. Why? Uh, and this is why, if I'm not mistaken, the statement was made, we've never seen nothing like this. Uh, and what, what made the software unique was the customization to each entity, whatever that might be, whether it's ICE or Department of Justice or Homeland, whatever it is, we can come in and put this software in a, in a position, and it's less work, it's millions saved on training because of the work that you guys, each one, every one of you guys put in uh, to the software. Go ahead, Kendrick. And that was the reason why we had on staff former federal agents, because we wanted to make sure that the software met the requirements, and based off DHS's response, it did. I mean, I remember vividly every time they would come back from a demo with uh, the Department of Security, 
they would call an all-hands meeting. We had a bell in there that we would ring. And it was all positive. What we were getting was our marching orders. Hey, this is what we need to do next to land. Because there was there was nothing that was ever said that wouldn't that any company wouldn't believe that you know what we're going to the next steps with Department of Home Security. That's that's awesome. And the bottom line is, uh, and this again, everything we've heard thus far on this show tonight from every one of you. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, let me be clear. Each, each, uh, each one of these RFP5 men brought a very unique perspective to the creation of this software. Every one of them. Without Cliff Stewart, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, and David Banks coming together, adding their skill set to that software, then that software doesn't happen. So this is why you get so upset at the injustice here. These men were going forward. You're talking about saving lives in the United States. And that's why the response from the CBI, this, well, this, the complexity in tracking and doing this, this software will be used in a wide range of law enforcement. That's the CBI statement, the director of the CBI, Colorado Bureau of Investigation. That is absolutely awesome. Demetrius, what do you want to add to that? It's uh, This is the most compelling story that we lived it. We lived it. And I'm telling you, to know that our government, the U.S. government, went to great lengths to put us in prison to trash the Constitution. We lived this, that the Constitution doesn't mean anything. As, as four black men, African-American men, we want, went head toe-to-toe with the government, and this is what happened. Go ahead, Dave. And one of the things I want to make sure our listeners understand is we were a business that had under 50 employees that were working on this software going against companies that had tens of thousands of people working for their business. So when the government is looking at us as a business that they want to work with, they're going to try and prove us out because they're going to say, hey, these guys are too small. They're, there's no way they're going to be able to do what we need done. And we got things done so quick, they were amazed. No, absolutely right. And the bottom line here is the product. And, and if you learn this in any type of sales job you may work. If the product so what makes this software above the rest? A cut above. Something happened here that shook law enforcement in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., law enforcement in New York City, the police department. You've got Philadelphia, the inspector general of, of Philadelphia. Is that correct? All of these people, they're not gravitating to this if this was some type of scheme. These men, that's why it could never be proven that these men did anything. And the information we have heard tonight, it is crystal clear that this product would save a nation from the threat of terrorism and acts of terror. And if that doesn't get you up in the morning to go to work, these men stayed up many times all night. And the fact that the government said, for you other agencies where they were pending business, put this face on it, the, responsib- the responsible thing done by RP Solutions and the RP5, you brought people in to customize it to the level that the government requested. This is an intent. There was intent here. Let me tell you what the intent was. 
to create software and never, ever see another 9-11 strike this country again. That's, that's the intent, if you want to talk about intent. We'll start right with that, the intent to save lives. And if that is not being a patriot in this country, then I have no idea what it is. I can guarantee you in this place, the RFP5, with this information and the ongoing information that we see, yeah, these are patriots. And they were done wrong by the government of the United States. William, go ahead. You know, to that point, if somebody was there that watched and saw the work that these guys put in, it was, you saw this, I mean, it was incredible how much they cared and they committed to rolling out a product that met the needs. I mean, it was constantly on calls, constantly making tweaks. It was amazing how much time and effort that was really put into this. They put their heart into it. They really put their heart into it. So when you read the letters, you hear, you hear these people saying, oh, we, we love the product. It met our needs. You saw it over and over again because it was done with such just a real heart to get something done. To that point, it goes back to the 9-11 show. If that one thing motivates them, you, you saw proof of it. Yep. You saw proof of it. And to, and to Dave Zabolo's point, big companies couldn't do that. They couldn't do what these guys did because they don't care. They did not care at the level these guys did. Well, I'll tell you this. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our closing segment. We're coming back to the RP5. I want to hear from every person of the RP5 group. If you had something to say to the nation, to the listeners in the country, I want you to make a statement that to our country, to this nation, of what you think you can do, what you have done, and how do we see America happening, and what's going to happen to protect this country in the future. We're going to, get, we're going to hear from each one of you on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio, Software Unveiled, the IRP5, live in the studio, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clint Stewart. We're going to wrap up the segment on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-529. 4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Barnes police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. 
was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that they're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. I can tell you right now that what we have learned in this studio tonight is just the beginning. The injustice suffered by the IRP-5 men and the step-by, really play-by-play that they have stretched out tonight to tell and to share with us and the American people, I think, is very informative. Right now, we're going to hear from each one of them down the line, give a closing thought to our listeners what's important for them to know as we take the next step, hopefully, in bringing complete justice to the IRP-5. Clint, go ahead. Yes, uh, I'd just like to say, as an African-American businessman, uh, in this country, we need to pay attention to what the government is doing to small business. Uh, When they stifled us, they're showing their hand as to what they want to do with small and medium-sized enterprises in America. And so uh, this, is a, this is a travesty, but you definitely need to pay attention to uh, black American small business. Uh, this is what they're doing to us. Absolutely. Dave Zapolo. Well, one of the things I want to say is this could happen to you. What happened to us could happen to anybody in America. They have to remember the system is rigged. It's rigged against the little guy. It's rigged against the African-Americans. It's rigged against the Hispanics. They will do anything to stop you from uh, achieving what you want to achieve. Thank you, Dave. Kendrick? And I would say I remember we had the guest uh, Andrew Abarelli on, and he made a point about he, this system, this experiment of American democracy has failed. And the only way we can save that is, is if we as a country – Say, you know, these laws that we send these congressmen for and watch them argue on television, if we don't enforce this law and make it that everyone is accountable, our story is just the beginning. Because right now our case is case law. I mean some, some judge could use our case and say, well, they, they railroaded them in the IRP6 case, and we can get you too. But if America just sits back and does nothing, I mean it's just a, it's a matter of time before the next – IRP solutions happen. Absolutely. Demetrius. Uh, Kendrick, that was a good point. I was thinking the same thing, that this our judicial system needs to be torn down and rebuilt. That's the only way we'd have. Like Dave said, if it happened to us, it can happen again. And we just need to change. Make, we need to do better. We need to change this system. Absolutely. David. What our case exposes is a culture. Uh, the same culture you see where black men are getting murdered in the streets, it's the exact same culture that prompted uh, action against us. Uh, racially, uh, there was racial bias here. 
when FBI agents ask you if a white woman came in and, and she was qualified, would you hire her? Yes. That, so the, the, the fingerprints of racism was on this case. So we're no different than the abuses of power that are going on in the streets by police officers. These same type of abuses are going on uh, with prosecutors and judges, and people really need to be aware that the culture of this justice system and the corruption goes very, very deep, and it's widespread throughout the system. No, absolutely right. And thank you, a very special thank you to the IRP5 for taking time out of their schedules to be here at AJC Radio. A very special thanks to David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clint Stewart. These are men who live the nightmare. And I'll tell you what, until justice is found, you will hear the voices of these men as we seek justice. And I'll tell you, uh, these are things, as, as Dave Zappolo just alluded to, if it happened to these men with the overwhelming evidence, we've done two shows on this software, and what I've heard is overwhelming, clear that there was no crime committed here. Everybody has an opinion. Well, the opinion that matters is who this happened to. These men lived this nightmare. Eight years locked up away from their families, away from their church community, and for a crime that was never committed. And I'll tell you what, if I'm a juror, in the last two weeks of this program, I would have 100% categorically came back with a verdict of not guilty, period. But this judge, Judge Christina Aguayo, made it clear to abuse the bench in which she presides over. We seek justice and for the impeachment, immediate impeachment, as these facts unfold, that she be impeached as it should be. This is AJC Radio looking for justice all around the world. Good night, America. Until next time. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it, it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with 
the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're gonna hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer.